All right, we've got a great episode of Side Retired, the MLB podcast coming at you guys today. It's Dylan and James, as always. We're going to get an inside perspective into the Arizona Diamondbacks coming off their World Series appearance. So, James, let's hit the intro music and we'll get right into this. Hello and welcome to this edition of Side Retired, the MLB podcast. It's Dylan Campione and James Tausig as always. And James, when your official team, the New York Yankees, started to burn down to the ground towards the end of the season, you decided to adopt a new team that you were going to root slash have a love-hate relationship without the off- throughout the rest of the season. And that was the Arizona Diamondbacks, who had a unique road to the World Series. So, of course... We have to get an expert for his perspective and someone who actually knows what they're talking about with the Arizona Diamondbacks as opposed to us. So we were joined today by Nick Piacoro, who is a Diamondbacks beat reporter. He's been with the team for over a decade. So thanks so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So, James, I'm sure you're curious about your quote unquote favorite team. So <laughs> you can take it away with the first question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess uh you know, you've been in the locker room for 10 plus years. You've been around the team, all that. I mean, what was different about this year? What really stood out? Uh, I mean, I think from the beginning of the season, you know, I think you could tell things were different. Uh, and then all the way, obviously, making a deep postseason run uh, this season. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, I think it probably started the year before um, when Corbin Carroll came up um, and some of the other young guys were all kind of together for the first time in the big leagues uh late in the 22 season and they didn't like light the world on fire necessarily from like a win-loss perspective but um i i think that they were in a lot more games and probably would have had a winning record there for the last couple of months of the season if the bullpen had been a little bit better um so you kind of just felt like they were close you know it 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 felt like it felt like they just needed a few things to to kind of come together and go their way and and maybe you know, a, a playoff appearance was possible. I don't think any of us thought a World Series appearance was going to happen um, in in that year. Um, I, but I mean, I, I look, they were coming into the year. I think they were like a they were a dark horse team for a lot of people, right? I mean, I, I don't think it's like shocking that the Diamondbacks got to the playoffs. A lot of people were saying like, "Hey, look at this young core of of, of players. Look at this this talented nucleus." You know, Corbin Carroll's really good uh alec thomas is good and you know on and on there's a a lot of other guys that were that were following behind him um you know and and look there was a point in you know june they were on pace for 90 something wins you know they had they had i think they may have had the best record in the national league for a little bit um so you know still though i i can't really explain what happened in october it was it was pretty crazy to watch um you know they they didn't just like it's not like they just had everything go their way. They they did have a lot of things go their way. That's that's part of winning baseball games, certainly. It just felt like they were the best team on the field for, I think they played 17 postseason games. I don't know. They were the best team on the field for 12 of them, something like that. I mean, it, it just it was kind of stunning how often they were playing better baseball than whoever they were facing, regardless of, you know, how much more money – or how many more talented players or, you know, whatever it might be, how much nastier stuff or more, much more power the other teams would have had. Um, They were just better. 
And I think the fun thing about the time that you've covered the Diamondbacks is that there's always been a powerhouse in the NL West, whether it was those giants in the early 2010s or obviously the Dodgers have won the division almost seems like every year that James and I have been watching baseball. But then there's the Diamondbacks who have always been this sneaky good team, guys like Justin Upton and Paul Goldschmidt. And now we've got the new core of Cattell Marte and players like that. So what has it been like to cover the team that obviously doesn't get as much media attention as the Dodgers, but it's still putting out a pretty competitive team almost every year. Yeah. I mean, they, they certainly, it, I don't know. I guess what's interesting about, about covering the Diamondbacks is it always feels like, um, I mean, I don't, I don't want to sound like, a, like I'm ahead of the curve or anything like that, but it feels <laughs> like when you watch the Diamondbacks, you're always like a little bit ahead of everybody else in the sense that like it took, um, it took the rest of baseball, like a full, not the rest of baseball, but like the rest of the, you know, the fans around the game, like a full year longer than it did us to realize like, Oh wow. Paul Goldschmidt's like the best player in baseball. Like, <laughs> you know, and like, it just felt like that every year. Like people didn't really know who AJ Pollock was. People didn't know who David Peralta was. People didn't know. I mean, it, it would have happened for sure with Corbin Carroll had they not gone on this kind of run, because that's just the way it is out here. I don't know if it's the I guess it's just a combination of things. I mean, they're, they're not on Sunday night baseball very often. They're not, um, you know, they're just not in a major market. They're on the West coast. So just the time difference is a factor. Um, so, I mean, it just all plays into it. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they've, they've had, they've had their like really bad years, but like they always seem to kind of bounce back pretty quickly um, and put another like relatively competitive product on the field. Um, you know, the question has always been, and or the, the problem has always been since the very beginning of the franchise, just their ability to sustain it. Um, you know, they made the playoffs in 07 and didn't, didn't make it again until 2011 then didn't make it again until 2017, then didn't make it again until this year. Um, you go back to the early days of the franchise. Um, I'd have to double check this. I should probably do that, but like they, uh let's see they went to the playoffs in 99 for sure and 01 obviously um 99 01 and 02 so four out of the first uh or sorry three out of the first five years they made the playoffs um and they were fielding competitive teams in 2000 and 2003 um you know they just haven't done that sort of thing um since then uh and you know we saw a lot of people get excited here in october um, the fan base showed up for the first time in a big way in a long time. Um, and you know, if these guys can get back to, to October, you know, in 24 and 25 and 26 or two of those three years, let's say, I, I really think like, we'll start to see, um, you know, the Dimebacks be a, a, a club that has a, a relatively sizable fan base. Again, I, I do think there are baseball fans out here. <laughs> and kind of looking for something to get excited about. But like, you know, if you're being fair and you're being honest, like the organization hasn't been, hasn't really given them that sort of thing to get excited about and like consistent, um, consistently performing teams or like recognizable players year in year out for, you know, since, since the Randy and, and Luis Gonzalez days. Yeah, um, and you know the Diamondbacks did make a couple of acquisitions to the trade deadline, picking up Tommy Pham, Paul Seawald, and a few others, uh, less notable names, uh, and and it clearly paid huge dividends. Seawald was a huge fa- uh, contributor uh, to the postseason run, uh, and so was Pham. Pham was arguably the best player all postseason for the Diamondbacks. Um, I mean, 
do you think ownership will take a look at that and say, well, maybe if we go get a couple more players, you know, this offseason, spend a little bit more money this year, now that we see that this young group of guys, Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas, Cattell Marte, Perdomo, Christian Walker, Gabriel Moreno, who they also went and acquired last offseason, it's all seeming to pay off and trend in the right direction. Could they go spend $20 million, $30 million this offseason uh, to try and push this team over the hump? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, I, I think when you look back at um, the way this franchise has operated, um, they're usually in the bottom third in payroll out of the 30 teams. But uh, there are some outlier years where they pop up a little bit higher. I mean, you know, they're never they're never like going to. I mean, not since the very beginning, right? They're not going to act like the Padres. Like, the, I guess the Padres kind of copied the early Diamondbacks blueprint in a sense of like just going out and spending. But like, you look at some of those years, they, uh, you know, when Ken Kendrick, the owner, senses a chance to compete, he he usually goes for it um, to to you know a degree, right? Right, like kind of a restrained, kind of a um, controlled aggression type of 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 thing. I would say, like, you know. Um, the best example is in 2014, they had the worst record in baseball. 2015, they started to trend up in the right direction and had some interesting young players. 2016, they go out and get Zach Greinke. They signed him a $200 million deal, you know? So like when they sense something is there, they've usually spent, he's, he's usually opened up the pocketbook a little bit. So I would expect he does the same thing uh, this year. Like I, I don't, I'm not saying they're going to get Otani. I don't even think they're going to go get Yamamoto. You know, I, I don't think that's realistic. Um, and honestly, like you, you kind of look at the Granky deal, like they, there was a point where he was making like 25 or 30% of their roster alone, you know, like that's not probably a very smart way to run a, a franchise. So, but like, yeah, could they go out and spend on um, Jordan Montgomery or Eduardo Rodriguez? Like, I think that's maybe within, within, you know, the, po- the realm of possibility um probably more likely they they go another tier down um but like they could go and and spend a lot of that money on extending gabriel moreno right or they could try to lock up gallon who's got two years to go before he's a free agent or um give uh merrill kelly another extension or whatever it might be um so yeah i i think uh I I wouldn't be surprised if if they spend a little bit more than maybe people would would expect from the Diamondbacks. Absolutely, I think one of those pitchers on that level, but he might be a little bit too far out of the price zone. That's Blake Snell, who you got an up close getting to see him in the Padres in the NL West this year. Do you think he's on the market for you guys, or is that again probably in that too high of a price range for him? I would guess that that after giving Bumgarner five years, that maybe they're a little bit hesitant to go quite that far uh for a starter um i don't know snell snell just feels a little bit like too risky of an asset to me you know like i I, look they ended up being totally wrong on bumgarner but i think that what they thought they were getting was like at worst like a back-end starter that was going to be serviceable you know and I, i think probably most people would have said that's that's what bumgarner looked like at the time for you know three four years ago whenever that was um but, but, you know, I, I like Snell, not that like, not that he wouldn't be that, um, but he's going to cost like double what Bumgarner cost. 
and it's just like he's just the there's some you know erraticness right when it comes to the strike throwing and doesn't always pitch deep into games i just i don't feel like he kind of uh fits the profile that they usually pursue yeah and i mean the diamondbacks have a ton of young uh, position player talent coming up i'm just looking through their top uh mlb.com top 30 prospects and i mean the list just goes on and on you see ivan melendez at eight guy who hit 30 homers last year and his first year of minor league baseball um but yeah i mean do you think it's more of a it'll be more of a starting pitching kind of focus or back-end relief kind of focus for the Diamondbacks because I feel like that's kind of where during the regular season, the bullpen seemed to have a little bit more trouble. Um, you know, Brandon Fott made a name for himself in the postseason. Uh, you have Merrill Kelly, you have Zach Gallen. Um, there's definitely kind of a hole in the back-end for the Diamondbacks. Of the rotation? Yeah, I I think so. I, I think, uh, you know, Tommy Henry, um, if, you're, if you haven't been a – if you haven't been following the D-backs uh, super long, uh, you may not realize he's a pretty good starting pitcher. I mean, I think he's probably a back-end guy, but he was hurt all of October. Um, they're expecting him to be back fully healthy. Um, so I think I think that's not a bad guy to pencil him as your number five. Um, if you can go out and, go, and sign somebody, whether he's a three or he slots in right behind Fott at four, um, I, I think that makes the most sense. I You know, I, to me, like Eduardo Rodriguez is a nice name to connect because this front office – uh, came from Boston, and so they obviously have some history with Rodriguez. Uh, but probably the most realistic name, in, you know, that from looking at him that I see is is Michael Walker. Um, I think he's just kind of. I think he's the sort of guy that they tend to go after. Like, pretty good strike thrower, kind of knows how to pitch. Like, can can pitch to a game plan. Seems to understand his strengths and weaknesses well. Like, he's really not that different in a lot of ways to like. Merrill and and uh and Zach Gallon. I mean, I think Gallon probably has the best stuff out of them all, but and Merrill's stuff has gotten better. I don't mean to to knock him, but uh, you know, Waka isn't like an overpowery type of guy, but I I just feel like he he makes sense that he's the kind of guy that I could see this front office targeting. I think one of the interesting things as well is that it's always the moves happen in secrecy and that the Diamondbacks are not one of them. Maybe it's because they're not as covered as the Mets or the Dodgers, but it seems like no one knows that the move is coming until all of a sudden the shoe drops and it's like breaking the news has happened. So what has it been like as a beat reporter for the Diamondbacks getting to cover them the past couple off seasons? Has there been a story that's been like the favorite for you of like, Oh wow. I remember when we traded Paul Goldschmidt or another one of those big stories that happened that you covered. You mean like happened like out of nowhere? Either way, just like your favorite thing well, that you've gotten to cover over the I past mean, probably. I mean, well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> probably the world series runs a, is the coolest thing I got to cover. But I mean, I'm thinking back to like moves that, that just totally blew me away. The Goldschmidt thing didn't shock me. I think, I think there was some, some, there were some breadcrumbs, you know, being dropped that that could, that sort of thing could happen. Uh, probably both of the Granky transactions were the most shocking. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think back to the off season when they signed Granky. um, Johnny Cueto and David Price were also the other big name starting pitchers on the market. And they had said they wanted to go out and sign a big starting pitcher. And they had actually flown a bunch of people down to the Dominican to meet with Cueto and Cueto turned him down. And um, then Price got that big deal uh, from Boston. And it just felt like, okay, well, Price got this much. They're not going to go quite this far for Granky because they weren't willing to, to go far enough to get Cueto. So I just sort of set that aside and sort of wondered, you know, 
started to wonder who who else who's the next guy down on the list and then boom they signed Granky. so that was that was pretty shocking and then you know i thought they were just kind of stuck with that contract and then they wound up unloading him to to houston um and so uh i i was expecting a lot of other things to happen that trade deadline um maybe trading Robbie Ray was a, was a possibility at the time. And they wound up trading Granky and, and just totally stunned me. Um, I guess those are the, those are the things that probably stand out the most. I mean, I've covered some, some no hitters. Um, Tyler Gilbert threw a no hitter for the Diamondbacks <laughs> a couple of years ago. Um, that was remarkable uh, in terms of, I'd have to bring up my, my game story from that night, but he gave up a crazy amount of, hard contact. I mean, it was like 10 balls, you know, 95 or a hundred or harder. Um, and somehow like several of them on a line, you know, like line drive to the first baseman, liner to left, liner to center, liner to third guys making diving stops. It was wild. Um, he had no business throwing a no hitter that night, but he did <laughs> it. It was, it was a crazy thing. Yeah. And, uh, you, we know you have, uh, awards vote to the end of the season. Uh, an interesting award for us that we had a lot of talking about was the national league MVP. So what was it like voting for that award? And, and how did you come to the decision to have Acuna Betts and Freeman, uh, in that order as your top three? Um, I, I guess I kind of, I kind of wanted to bet or go for bets. I wanted to vote for bets at the top. Um, I've, I watch him all the time. I know how incredible he is. Um, and I kind of felt like when I sat down, I, I try to avoid looking too closely at, at the numbers until the very end. I just, I don't want to like get myself too dug in on anything, but like, I'll, I will admit that I, I do appreciate watching Mookie play um, that I, I kind of was thinking to myself, oh, I'd be nice if I could vote for him to win this thing. <laughs> and um, I, I guess, I guess it, I, I was in I was in Chicago late in the year. They were playing the White Sox, I think. Yeah, they were playing the White Sox. I was in Chicago. I was having dinner at a place after a day game. And um they had the the Braves and the Cubs on and Acuna was um just single handedly like taking apart the Cubs pitching staff. Um there was it was like the night after say a Suzuki dropped that ball or maybe two nights after it was that series. Um, and, uh, and I just remember thinking like, man, this guy's just such a monster. It was, there was like, you may <laughs> remember it. There was an extra inning game. He like, he got like the game tying hit, then he stole second and they like pulled the bag out and he, you know, it was like his 70th steal or whatever it was. And, uh, and then he scored like two pitches later when Albie's got a base hit. And I just remember like sitting there thinking like, okay, this is, this is probably it. But I mean, you know, then I dug in at, at you know, the day after the season, and just kind of was playing around with the numbers and like it was close, but it just felt like Acuna's season was just just too massive, you know. Um, maybe Betts is the more valuable player. I don't know. I I was surprised it was as overwhelming as it was. Um, I always kind of want it to be closer, but um <laughs> I also don't usually like, I don't know. I don't like being the one guy going a certain way, or, you know, although I'm not afraid to do it. I, I was the only person that had, um, uh, I was the only person that had DeGrom over Christian Yelich the year Yelich won. Um, and I'm always putting starting pitching high on my ballot, um, higher than everybody else. It seems like I, I was, I had Blake Snell 
uh, higher than anybody else this year. I had him five. Mm -hmm. Um, to be honest, I don't remember. I know you mentioned Freeman. Um, and then I, I'm, I know I went Olsen after that, but I can't specifically recall why I went Freeman and then Olsen rather than Olsen Freeman. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I think, yeah, I I, mean, I, 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 I look at your top three and I, I agree completely. I really don't have, I do value Betts' defense. And I do think Betts is a phenomenal player and there was a case to be made for him over Acuna. Um, but I mean, Freeman was just a monster. I mean, the doubles, the homers, I mean, he plays gold glove caliber defense every season. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I had no problem with the order you had him in. I think, I think if I had a vote, it would look very similar, uh, in the top five. Uh, I maybe would have given Carroll the edge over Snell because Carroll had such a, such a good year and was obviously the unanimous rookie of the year, uh, in the national. Yeah, he was league. awesome. I mean, Snell was the unanimous Cy Young award winner though. Right. It's so true. I, I guess like for me starting pitching, um, I might be a little bit off on the numbers here. You, maybe you could bring it up while I'm talking, but like Corbin Carroll, I think had about 620, 625 plate appearances. Mm-hmm. Um, Blake Snell had uh, 725 batters faced, something like that, plate appearances against him, right? So 100 batters more. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so like, you know, people like to say a starter doesn't make as big of an impact as a position player because he only pitches every five days or whatever, but that's his, that's a hundred plate appearances more that, that he can impact than, than Corbin Carroll. And yes, there are other things like base running and defense that, that come into play more for a position player. But um, the other thing about it is when you think about who has more control over the outcome of a plate appearance, it's, it's obviously the pitcher. I mean, every time you go down and you talk to the hitters after a guy throws well, they'll be like, ah, yeah, nothing I could have done. They didn't get anything to hit, you know, like, that that tells you that tells you it you're waiting for mistakes as a hitter most of the time right that's that's what you do so a pitcher has a a far bigger um ability to impact the outcome of a of a plate appearance and they have roughly the same if not more um plate appearances and that's the that's the heart of baseball right the batter pitcher interface so if a if a starting pitcher is dominant um and logs innings I have no problem putting them way high on my ballot. I, I just think they have a outsized impact on um, the outcome of the game. That's fascinating. That's ever the first time I've ever actually heard that side of the argument. I've always yeah, heard. Yeah, I've, like, I've never heard that either. That's really good. And yeah, because we always hear like the... that in my, in my dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> no, we always hear like the, Fair, oh, feel the free to steal 30 it. games and then it's that uh, the starting pitcher plays 30 times and the position player is 162, but that's the... 700 at bats for 600 at bats is a pretty unique way of looking at that. I yeah. Love it. I mean, they're, they, they're huge. And, in, in, you know, I mean, that that's why when you look at the war, uh, a starting pitcher's war can be as high as a position players, you know, I mean, you start kind of breaking it down on a granular level. That's what it comes down to. So um, yeah, I, 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 I don't want to like minimize like being in the lineup every day. I, I that's hugely important. I don't mm-hmm. want to minimize like, stealing bags like Carol does or, or, um, you know, making great plays in the field or, you know, whatever position you're playing, like that stuff's super important too. I just think like pitchers kind of get knocked for not making quite as big of a, of an impact, but like if your starter is starting 30, 34 games, um, and, and putting up big numbers, like you're, you're super responsible for how your team performs. I love it. Absolutely. So James and I have three sort of fun, 
prediction style questions that we throw at all of our guests to wrap up episodes if you're game for them. Yeah, sure. All right. I, so the... I'm probably I'm probably gonna be like give you cop and giving you cop out answers, <laughs> yeah. but like sure, what do you got? Oh, we love them. It's always the type of thing that if people get them wrong, we never hear them again. But then guarantee <laughs> if you get them right, we will be blasting them all over the internet saying congrats to Nick on getting the correct. Hell yeah. All right, <laughs> we let's love do it. it. But the first one we've been asking everyone, it seems like the Diamondbacks are not going to be the answer here. But opening day 2024, Shohei will be playing for the. Mm. So, you know, like the the fact that people are like trying to predict this, I think is kind of wild because it like you think back to the one decision that he had to make like already. And he chose the team that like makes absolutely no sense, right? <laughs> like, why is he on the Angels to begin with? Like that, he, they didn't have the most money to spend. They, you know, they weren't that attractive of a destination. Um, and yet here he is. And then everybody's like sitting here seeming, seeming like they know where he's going to go next. I have no <laughs> idea. I mean, I, it seems to me that he's not motivated by money. Um that, you know, if he would have stayed in Japan for a couple more years and could have been properly posted, he could have already gotten a $200 million contract probably, right? So, I mean, he wants to go somewhere where uh, he can win um, and probably get paid pretty well. So, I mean, I guess the easy answer is the Dodgers. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I really feel like there's just, like, you can you can just kind of look at any contender and if you think that they're going to be able to get to like a, a reasonable salary range, you know, maybe he thinks it's fine to make 25 million a year for, for 12 years. Right. I mean, maybe in his mind, like he doesn't care, like what's the difference between uh, 250 million and 400. Like maybe he does, maybe he's just wired that way. I don't know. He's making hundreds of millions on other stuff already. Right. Um, So, I mean, you could look at like, Texas you could look at Seattle you could look at uh you know Baltimore I don't know I mean these Baltimore doesn't have much on the books why couldn't they go and sign Shoei Otani I don't know I, I don't have a very good answer for you I, I think anybody that that seems to think that they know what they're talking about are are full of it that's, that's my <laughs> oh I love it everyone's throwing out teams James throughout the Savannah Bananas a couple of days ago which I'd be <laughs> fully on board if that were to happen if all of a sudden change of pace there but the second question we have for you, and again, if you don't have an exact name, we're still good with it, but what do you think the offseason entails if you do have a bold prediction as to what the Diamondbacks will do or just say, like, we'll acquire a starting pitcher so you can go as detailed or as less detailed as you want to? Uh, yeah, okay. I think they will... Um, I think they'll sign Michael Waka, and I think they'll trade for... I'm going to say they'll trade for Dylan Carlson to be a right-handed outfield. I mean, I know he's a switch hitter, but he hits lefties well. Um, and um, I don't know. Like, I, I kind of wonder if they would go out and, and get one more right-handed bat. I know they've been linked to Justin Turner a lot the last couple of years, but I think it would have to depend on um how much it costs them to get those other things um i think that would probably be the last thing that they do um i i would guess the next move for them is a starting pitcher and i'm gonna say it's waka i love that that's going pretty specific on us <laughs> <laughs> and then the third question we have for you have you ever stepped foot in the pool at chase field slash do you ever want to step foot in the pool 
I have not, and no, not really. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it's not really my place. I don't think. Not that like I, I like swimming, but like I, I don't think that that I should go out there as a <laughs> as the beat reporter. So, yeah. Um, I'll I'll let let everybody else enjoy the pool. <laughs> I love it. Well, we've had a blast getting to talk to you over the past half hour. So talking all things Diamondbacks here and all about your career, really looking forward to seeing what happens with the D-backs. And obviously if Michael Walker does indeed sign, we will be saying <laughs> that you had it here first here that Michael Walker to the Diamondbacks, but James, anything else you want to throw in? No, it was awesome talking to you. It was great. Great talking some NL West and some D-backs for sure. Yeah. I, I hope I, I hope I gave you all your, I hope I satisfied all of your Diamondbacks needs as a, as a big diehard fan that you are so. <laughs> no absolutely i love it i'm sure james and i as soon as we get off the call will be thinking about the 700 versus 600 at bat pitcher and hitter thing for a long time now so you've definitely given us a ton of food for thought but for dylan james and nick this has been a blast and the side is retired